Welcome to episode 50 of Kowalski Analysis. I'm your host, Rob B. Kowalski. And tonight I have on a very special guest as always. This is a doctor. He's an exciting author. Actually, let me just tell you a little bit about him right now. Dr. Willard Harley is a clinical psychologist. He's a best-selling author and he's the host of Marriage Builders Radio. He's written 19 books and hundreds of articles. His most popular books are His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage, Love Busters, and the workbook, Five Steps to Romantic Love. Dr. Harley continues to write, speak, and lead seminars throughout the U.S. and Canada. Dr. Harley and his wife, Joyce, have been married for 54 years and live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. They have two adult children who are now working with them as marriage coaches, and they have four grandchildren. Before we get into the episode, I just want to mention my sponsor really quick, and that is Micah Hughes. Micah is a longtime friend and supporter of me and of CityFam, and he does everything real estate. So if you are in the market to buy a home, sell your home, or you just want to get into real estate investing to earn some passive income, please call Micah. Mention my name. He will take good care of you. His number is 443-532-8450, and I'll put his email in the notes. Welcome to Kowalski Analysis, Bill Harley. Should I call you Dr. Bill Harley? Call me anything you want. Bill, Dr. Harley, Dr. Bill. Just anything. Doc? I can just call uh, you Doc? Anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. So, yeah, let's just jump right in. So, how did you and your, your wife meet, Joyce? Well, we met when we were very young, and uh, Joyce was 13, I was 14, but both of us had boyfriends and girlfriends prior to that, so we've actually, we've started dating not as the first people we've ever dated, Right. but when I saw her for the very first time, she knocked my socks off, and I think I was in love at first sight. So, but she was already dating somebody else at the time and I was dating somebody else. So it took a year before we started dating each other. And she was 13 or she was 14. I was 15. When I was 16, I got my driver's license. I drove by her house on that day, picked her up and we went out on a date. On my first day of driving after a driver's license, the question is, what parent in their right mind would let their daughter go off with a guy like that? <laughs> so my, my father and mother-in-law were very understanding and liberal and actually facilitated the relationship because they liked me. They liked you. Oh, they, wow. Okay. How did you know that she was, <laughs> how did you know that she was the right one? I was crazy about her. Yeah. Like I say, I have, of all the girls I ever dated, she was the one that I was just absolutely in love with. And uh, she broke up with me six times. And normally if a girl, nor, no girl ever broke up with me, okay? First we established that. <laughs> and my thought is that if every girl, girl broke up with me, that'd be the end of it. We, I'd be on with other things. Right. But I just I couldn't get her out of my mind. Yeah. And uh, so each time there was a chance to get back together again with her, I, I took the opportunity and eventually I asked her to marry me and she said she would and we're married. At the time I thought, you know, this could be rough because she, she, she wasn't so sure for so many times. How could I be sure now? Right. And I have to tell you in the 58 years that we've been married, not a chance that she would have ever left. So once she made the decision, that was it for life. And we've been in love ever since. I love it. You know, like a lot of people, cause I, I don't date much. I, I used to date a lot before I was committed to waiting until marriage to have sex. And that really just, that was a whole new standard for me because I'm automatically, I'm asking myself, could you be happy or could you be happy with just her? So I'm asking myself the hard questions before getting physical. And it really helps you narrow the field pretty quickly. And it really even helps you narrow the field and who you date, because I'm like, I don't want to just go on dates with somebody. I mean, if I'm not sleeping with them, what would be the point of me going on dates with them? So it's like, I've been waiting for someone to come along and knock my socks off, like you said, and it hasn't happened yet. And I'm oh. like, 
so I'm like, I'm not going to settle because I do believe there is a woman that, that has the ability to knock my socks off. I just haven't met her yet. So I want, I want what you got. Yeah. Well, I, I will tell you this, that I didn't knock Joyce's socks off. So uh, <laughs> you can still fall in love with somebody over a period of time. And this is what she did, of course. I was not exactly a mature, caring, thoughtful person at that point in time. And women are looking for men who obviously care about them. Mm. And I just made too many mistakes in terms of being arrogant and um, uncaring. And you can be that way even though you're in love with somebody. I mean, you can be in love and, and still make a lot of mistakes. Mm. So that's what I did after after being after dating her for six years she eventually agreed to marry me by that time i was far more mature i was 21 finally you wore out by that time i i had it figured out so i said i, I said you you wore her down is what happened <laughs> well she she recognized that basically i was the one who cared about her more than anyone else sure and she had some disappointing experiences with other guys. And with me, I was always there. I was, I was, I was dedicated to her, even though I had some growing up to do. Mm. So we, we have young marriages in our family. Uh, Joyce's mom was 16 when she got married. And my, our daughter, Jennifer, was 20 when she got married. So we have a long history of young marriage. Our, our grandson was 20 when he got married. So, I mean, lots of lots of young marriages and there are some advantages to being young and being married because your brains sort of grow together for someone your age the idea of, of learning how to accommodate another human being when you've got so many things lined up right it's a lot more difficult yeah and uh, sometimes it takes a little more effort and a little more understanding uh, but i think the business of Somebody knocking your socks off doesn't have to happen. You can grow into a very, very strong knock your socks off type of relationship hmm. uh, over time. So, so she would eventually knock your socks off, but maybe at first sight, not so much. Yeah. Well, I'm, a, I'm open to that too, which is what I've always told. So like my, I've told people this, I'm like, either God's, I'm going to meet somebody and like, God's going to tell me she's the one, or I'm going to meet someone that knocks my socks off. And I'm going to be trying to tell God she's the one. This is the one. Right. Help like, me. Help me. Come on, God, please. Can I have her, please? Right. A lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. I said, God, if there's only one thing that I want from you in life, it's Joyce. And I made that, I, I prayed that prayer so many times. I said, you don't have to give me anything else. Just Joyce, and I'll be happy. As it turns out, he's given me a lot more than Joyce. But at the same time, that was all I wanted at the time. That's and so I nice. Still feel that way. I still feel that way. That's awesome. I, I, I'm envious. So what would advice, what's your best piece of advice that you would give to single people right now that are looking to, to try to find the right person? What would you tell them? Well, when Joyce and I ran a dating service for a while for Christians. And it was a... a very interesting experience because we started out with a lot of members and it, it developed into a club where Joyce and I helped men and women become marriable. Mm -hmm. Because in, in a lot of the cases we had, here were these people wanting to get married, but they really weren't ready to get married. Right. And they didn't have what the other person needed. In most cases, I was helping men get employed. Because a lot of them were terribly underemployed and couldn't support a family. Sure. And Joyce would help women with their physical appearance. Now, you know, that's not the main things we work on with, with people that are married. The main thing we work on is, is a conversation. We work on helping them become affectionate with each other, giving each other time and attention, avoiding hurting each other. But when we were working with singles, we had bigger fish to fry, bigger yeah. problems. And if I don't mind interject really quickly, I, I've often said, if you boil it all the way down to the base, men want sex and women want security. People don't like it when I say that nowadays, but it is true at our deepest level. So when you're helping a woman improve her appearance, that's the sex. 
and you're helping man get a job, that's so he can provide security. And it's exactly you got it, yeah, that is exactly right. Yeah, basically, the question is at the outset, a woman is going to want to know about his career, and a man is going to want to see her picture. And <laughs> that's how it all starts. And then from there, you get to know the person and get to, and you and you get to understand the person. And you get and you end up making the decision that yes, this is the one I would want to be with the rest of my life. Sure. And and then then you're ready to be married. Nice, love it. So basically, your advice would be: if you're a guy and you don't have any money, go get a job. And if you're yeah. a woman and you, and you take care of yourself and make sure you look presentable. Don't look for a woman to support you. That's right. what I would tell me. Again, Joyce is absolutely gorgeous. And, and there's nothing wrong with wanting a particular woman because she's very attracted to you physically. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's got to be more than that. Right. But that gets you there. Absolutely. You know? and, and the same thing is true with a woman. She wants to know that this guy's got a career that's going to help support her family. Absolutely. Now, many of the couples that I counsel today, the wife is earning more than the husband. Right, but it's still working out great because he does have a career and he does, in fact, earn earn a living. So yeah. So what, as far as like Christians and how they approach dating, what advice are you giving people now? Do you, do you are you proponent of waiting to have sex until marriage? I mean, that's kind of an an old fashioned yes. value, and that's something that I talk yes, a lot I, about. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, now that doesn't mean that a dating relationship can't have sexual overtones. Right, and if you do in fact find the person sexually attractive. I, I'm in. I am in favor of hugging and kissing, for example. Me too. You know? <laughs> and, and the basic idea is that you just don't take your clothes off. Sure. And that's the that's basically the rule that Joyce and I always followed. My pastor's wife. They used to say she waited. Her and her, and my pastor waited, and they used to have a rule that you could only touch where there wasn't clothes. So if clothes were covering it, you couldn't touch it. So I was like, yeah, until you tell your, until you tell your girlfriend to come over in a thong and flip-flops. <laughs> <Show them around. laughs> well, that's so, so funny. Um, all right. I'm interested in love and learning more about the love bank concept. Can you please explain that for the audience? Yeah, it's something I came up with in the beginning of my career, actually. I was a, a physics guy, if you can believe it. I, I, I graduated from college, actually planning to go into ministry, but my background was computers and physics. And I also had a philosophy major. I was going to go to seminary. Joyce and I were married at the time, and we decided not to take that route. At that point, I didn't know what I was going to do. I started out basically in computers, and from there, I went into psychology of all things. You know, I was invited by the psychology department to, to join their PhD program because I'd written some articles on artificial intelligence. Mm. And so I was interested in human decision-making, even though I'd never taken a psychology class. Yeah. And, and so I'd, I'd, I'd written some computer programs on that, so they said, you'd make a great PhD candidate. Three years, I had my PhD in psychology. From there, I started to take an interest in clinical psychology and specifically marriage. And I was very impressed, first of all, with how many people were getting divorced. This was, the, this was at the end of the 60s, and people were getting divorced at unprecedented levels. I'm a Christian, born-again believer. My wife's the same way. Our friends were getting divorced. And I couldn't imagine Christians getting divorced. Right. And the pastor of our church got divorced. Wow. His wife had an affair. I mean, the whole thing came to me as a great shock. I said, you know, I've got to learn how to fix these marriages. One of the things I learned early on was that nobody in love ever gets divorced. Mm. If Joyce and I are in love, we'll never even think of getting divorced. So my, my thought is, okay, maybe what I can do is teach people how to stay in love. And so I created a concept called the love bank that helped the person understand how to fall and how to stay in love. And the idea is that the more you deposit love units, which is associating good feelings with you, <clears throat> that you make the other person happy, 
the more likely they're going to fall in love with you. The reason I fell in love with Joyce is because her physical appearance absolutely made me happy. I just like to look. I still do. I love looking at her, you know. Love bank deposits are made looking at her. I've got pictures of her all over the room that I have in my house. It's my, it's my room. <laughs> and the basic idea is that it, it gives me joy. So the, the idea of the question is, what gives you joy? And the other person would make love bank deposits. And if you make enough of them, you breach the romantic love threshold. So I went into the business of figuring out how a man and woman could make enough love bank deposits to breach the romantic love threshold so that they would be in love and how to sustain that over time. Joyce and I have been married 57, 58 years. We've been in love throughout the entire 58 years. We've never been out of love. We've had a romantic relationship that entire time. Mm -hmm. We date regularly. We do to this day. We're making love bank deposits every day. We try to avoid love bank withdrawals at all costs. And I can tell people that romantic love is sustainable. I am witness to the fact that it's sustainable. And as long as it's sustainable and you have that in your marriage, there is no fear of divorce. You're never going to get a divorce because it'd be the worst thing you could ever do to yourself. Sure. So that's the love bank. The love bank's an idea that how do you make love bank deposits? How do you avoid love bank withdrawals? That's basically how you're going to stay in love. <laughs> Now, are you keeping this on like, are you keeping track on a spreadsheet or something? Because I actually interviewed a guy recently named Skylar Lewis, and he kept track. So he, he was all about systems. At his, he's built like these multi-million dollar businesses and everything. He, he keeps track of all of his systems and his numbers. And he, now, he was even keeping track of how many times he made love to his wife, he said. And I was like, what? I said, are you serious? I said, does she know about that? How does she feel? He's like, well, at first it was a little weird. But then she got, on board, she got on board with it. He's like, everything that you track improves. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. So with this love bank thing, are you actually, are you tracking the deposits and all that? Or how do you do that? I don't for myself, but I do for my clients. When I'm, when I'm counseling a couple, basically Joyce and I have things so well organized and so well set that nobody needs to keep track of anything. But for clients that haven't gotten to that point yet, yeah. I do have them fill out a form. What have you done this week to make deposits? And have you done anything to make withdrawals? I, I, I do a very careful analysis of their dating schedule, what they do on their dating, how long they, they, they've been there, how they react to it. So we, we pay a whole lot of attention to love bank deposits and withdrawals. At the same time, I have a test called the love bank inventory that measures whether or not a person's in love. And the clients that I'm counseling, they actually fill out this test periodically. And it gives me an idea as to whether they're making the love bank deposits that they're supposed to make and that they're avoiding the withdrawals. Right. Um, now, when they breach the romantic love threshold, I know that because of the score on the test. But they tell me, they will tell me. One, one, one guy on his way to another city here in the Twin Cities called me up and said, I am in love for the very first time. I've never been in love with my wife since I married her. We had to get married because she was pregnant. I've never been in love before. I am now married and I am so impressed with your program, how that could have be accomplished. I never thought it'd be possible. So when you're in love, there's no mystery. You know, when a person asks me, how do you know if you're in love or not? They're not in love. Right. They don't know if you're in love. Yeah. But if you're in love, it, it, it's absolutely a sensational experience. You, you want to be with this person more than anyone else. You want to be in contact with the person. You just enjoy their presence. Mm. That's what being in love is. And that's the goal that I have for all the clients that are coming. I love it. So I, I'm pretty vocal about, I've never been in love. I'm, and I'm not young. I'm 48 years old. And, you know, and I believe what I, I you know, I believe what, you just said, I believe if I was in love, I would have known. I, I've never met, a, I've never dated or really met even, I would say. I've never dated a girl that I couldn't get enough of. Okay, I always could get enough of them. I always, you know, <laughs> like you just said, you want to be around them all the time. And, and, you know, like I've had little windows of that with girls in the beginning. Like I just was like infatuated or something, but I've never really been in love. And I feel like, I feel like there's probably a lot of people that have never been in love. And I think that they, there's 
I think people think they're in love when there's one person is really into one person and the other person's not as in, cause you know, people retreat from whatever or, or pursue whatever retreats from them. So if somebody's pulling away emotionally, then the one person will think they're in love when really they're just in, kind of infatuated. They're out of, out of balance. So I think there's probably a lot more of that than there is real love. I, I think love is probably a lot more rare than, than people think. Would you agree with that? Situation. Infatuation is simply short-term romantic love. Uh, in other words, basically, when I first fell in love with Joyce, we could call that infatuation. Yeah. Um, it, but it was it it made it was saying sustained actually. You know, it, you know, call it infatuation or whatever you want to call it. I'm still infatuated with her. See, and so after all these years, my love for her has been sustained. And that's primarily because our relationship developed into more than physical attractiveness. Yeah. What? So basically, it got me there. But then getting to know her right. and getting to be a partner with her made more love units. And so basically, she's way off the chart when it comes to how many love units she's deposited. Now, I will say this, that some people have a higher threshold than others when it comes to love bank deposits. My, lo my love bank threshold happens to be low. Now, so I have to worry about guarding my love bank from outside threats. I have to worry about other people meeting my emotional needs. So I end up being in love with two people. There are other people that the, the threshold like yourself, it's so high right. that they've never experienced it with anybody because nobody's ever made enough love bank deposits to get to that point. My argument has always been that in a case like yours, you don't want to marry anybody that you're not in love, okay? You don't want to be married to anybody that you're not absolutely thinking to yourself, this is the best experience of my life. And then I'd have to know the woman who's doing this to know if what she's doing is sustainable. Mm. I mean, what she could be doing is absolutely unbelievable. You, you would be impressed beyond, but the question is, can she keep it up? Right. Can she keep doing this? Because if she can't, I mean, you can get people to fall in love with you by doing amazing things. But the question is, can you continue to do that the rest of your married life, which is something you have to do. So that would be the other concern. I, it, when, when you finally find a girl that is knocks your socks off, let me know. Let me talk to her for a few minutes so I can think, is, this, is what you're doing something you can do the rest of your life? That, that's a very important part of being in love for for throughout your married life. Well, I'm def I'll let you screen her for sure. Would you? So I guess where I was going with that is, don't you think it takes two people to be in love? Because people will say like, they will say, oh my gosh, I was so in love with him or I was so in love with her. But this person was like cheating on the other person left and right. I'm like, I don't think that's being in love to me because if you were, if you were in love, he wouldn't have been stepping out over and over. You, you might've thought you were in love but you really weren't in love. Cause I mean, I, I could be in love with, you know, uh, Brie Larson or some, you know, Holly Berry or some Hollywood actress and she doesn't know who I am. So that's not, we're not in love. I'm just infatuated <laughs> with that person. You know, am I, am I right though? Doesn't it take two people to be in love? Well, actually what happens is that a person in love can be a horrible partner because they aren't, they don't care about their spouse. Now, you can be in love with somebody that you don't care about. Now, for purely selfish reasons, you don't want to lose the person. And so you might have to do this and that. I call these people renters as opposed to buyers. In other words, they'll do enough to keep the person around right. because they want in their life. But they're not committed to the person. They haven't made a final commitment. And so they're in love with their... I've, I've known many husbands and wives that are in love with each other but cheat to cheat on each other the question oh. is why would they do why would they do that because what they have probably is the same thing i've got which is a low threshold right for romantic love and they're not guarding their love bank from outside threats and so they end up falling in love with more than one person wow so the to me a caring See, I define marriage as a mute a relationship of mutual extraordinary care Marriage is a relationship of mutual extraordinary care. Now, if done right, it creates permanent romantic love. 
So my attitude is that romantic love is evidence that the other person is doing something right, or you wouldn't have that feeling. But what's more important, and I have to say this carefully, what's more important than romantic love is the commitment of care that you have for each other. And so when somebody says that they're number one in my life, but my spouse is not in love with me, my, I, I love my spouse more than anyone else, and they're more important to me than anyone else, but they're not in love with me. I work with them to learn how to meet the emotional needs of the person that they're married to. In other words, they might, they might have the best of intentions. They just don't know how to make those love bank deposits that they need to make in order to create romantic love. So there is the, theoretically, there is the situation where you can be in love with somebody but not have what it takes to get them to be in love with you. And you need a little training in order to do that. I was that way when I was dating Joyce. Mm. I needed some training. And I got it through dating her over a period of time and being rejected during that time and learning what, I, learning what mistakes I'd made. Sounds like she might have broke your heart a couple of times before you married her. Oh, without a doubt. Many tears. <laughs> yeah. So what are the most common mistakes you see Christians make in dating? Well, first of all, I think that most people, when they date, they have to be all in. And the basic idea is that when you start dating, you need to be prepared for conversation throughout throughout the day, throughout the week. I think that if, if you're a guy, you need to text, you need to be in communication. If you are, if you, you, you should be able to date every day or at least be on the phone every day or at least talk you know be together as much as possible long distance relationships to me are very fragile basic idea is that you're you're up for the occasion the question is do you like the person all the time or do you feel like this is too much i i'm getting too much of this person i need a break that's not the guy you want to be with Right. I tell you, it's so funny you mentioned that. There was a girl I was talking to. It's just a girl I met online. She lived in another country and we went on a virtual date. I bought her dinner, had to deliver to her place. We had a Zoom meeting and we started talking every day for like a couple of weeks. And it just got to the point where I just, I'm busy, you know, I'm working a lot. And I, I started feeling obligated to call basically. And I'm like, that's probably not healthy. Cause if you start feeling obligated, not like excited, you know, then I think that that for me was enough for me to say, Hey, look, I need to pump the brakes here. And I just, you know, kind of called it off, even though we had only been talking, but still, and she was great. She was everything that you could want. She was beautiful. I mean, she was, you know, no kids, 35 loves Jesus, you know, not religious though. Like everything that I would say I would want on paper, probably she was, but in the, my heart, I was I guess I felt like it was my responsibility to call every day. And I was like, that's not a good place to get to. So I'm glad that you said that. Cause it kind of. It is. And I know that when I was dating cell phones in those days, but we didn't have landlines and I can remember talking to her so long that my ear would hurt, you know, like three hours, you know, I never did that with anyone else. No one. And, and there would be long periods of silence because neither one of us could think of anything else to say, but we didn't want to hang up on Love each that. other. I'm so jealous of you. <laughs> but I don't feel that way toward every woman, that's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and, and for Joyce, it was just one of these things where there was never a time when I said, well, I guess we ought to go home. I, I always felt like oh gosh i gotta go home now you know and we were always waiting to say okay now it's time i mean there, there would be this yeah well i'll talk to you again tomorrow as quick as possible right and, and that's the way we are now i mean we're we're inseparable and yeah. you know people have thought i'm codependent people have called me codependent but i kind of i got to tell you that when you're in a great marriage there's nothing wrong with being codependent. No, that's great. I want, you know, I, I just, I've spoke some, you know, on the book and uh, this whole thing about waiting and, and a lot of people don't want to get married anymore because they've seen a generation of people do it 
ass backward where they, they have sex, they drift into a relationship with the wrong person, then they're fighting all the time, the marriage is terrible. So, you know, they've seen their parents do that, let's say, and then they think, well, I don't want to get married because I don't want any part of that. And so what I like, well, let me reframe this for you. What if, uh, would you like to meet your best friend that you're physically attracted to that can help you reach your purpose in life? Everybody says yes to that. I said, well, don't have sex before marriage because it'll help you find her. Because now you're asking yourself the hard questions on the front end instead of getting yourself into something complicated and then drifting into something with the wrong person. I was funny. I was listening to a song earlier today by Led Zeppelin, or uh, it was actually by Pearl Jam. And he says, I know someday you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be the sun in someone else's sky, but why can't it be mine? And I remember when me and my first girlfriend were breaking up, I would, that song came on the radio and I was just crying. Because I was like, I knew I was in love with the idea of her because we had been having sex and dating and I had a soul tie, but I was not in love with her. But here I was, it was so painful to let her go, even though we weren't in love. And I've seen so many people that soul tie just pulls them back in. They, they can't they, and they end up spending their whole life with the wrong person. They never get what you have. You know, that best friend that you just can't get enough of that you want. That's what I want. And I'm willing to pay the price now. Like, cause I've been abstinent basically for the last 10 years. So I'm like, I'm paying the price on the front end, believing that there's going to be a payoff like that, you know, on the back end. So the, the thing that I would have to do actually, let's suppose there's some woman that's just crazy about you. And she calls me up and says, you know, I want, I want to, I want to marry Rob. So what do I have to do? And I would say, well, I gotta, I gotta talk to Rob. And I gotta let him know about your intentions. And but I, I gotta figure out what it is that he can really appreciate in a woman. And let's see if you meet any of these standards. So I could train a woman to do what it takes for you to be in love with her. Mm -hmm. I can do that. As a matter of fact, I've done that with many couples where the, the couple will come to me without ever having been in love with each other. And they say, well, how do we, we want to be in love. What do we do? This is especially true with arranged marriages. I work with a lot of India, couples in India, okay? And they have arranged marriages and they want to be in love. And I can teach them how to be in love. I think people can be assigned to each other randomly. And if they get the right training, they can be in love with each other. So I would have to get the girl to say, this guy is everything I've ever wanted in a man. Teach me how to do what it takes to get him to be in love with me. And if I had your cooperation, it would be a done deal. All right, ladies, we're going to do the online ver <laughs> version of The Bachelor right here. Send your picture to Bill, Bill Harley, and he is going to screen you. <laughs> I've got a great skill set here. <laughs> I, I, trust me, I've got so tired of waiting that I've thought about just you know, picking out like five girls and telling the people that I, that really know me the best and love me, just pick one of them <laughs> for me and just going with it. Because I'm like, I'm tired of waiting. I'm like, I want to have sex. I want a companion. I'm tired of like yeah. always trying to find things to do. Like I have a great group of friends, so I'm not complaining, but it, it definitely has not been easy. This, you know, yeah, no. waiting thing. Yeah, I'd always rather work with a guy that's crazy about a woman and teach her how to be in love with him than to do it the other way around. The other way around is tougher because what women want is to be, is, is to be for the guy to show some effort Pursue. in wanting to be married to, to her. They want to be pursued. Yeah. And so when the woman says, you know, I, I don't care. I don't care if I don't want, I, I don't care if he pursues me. I just want this guy for the rest of my life. See, then I, I can actually do that. And get to a point where I actually then get the guy to pursue her. See, I mean, then in the final analysis, she gets what she wants by in, in the area of pursuit as well. I love it. Although it's, 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 you know, it's a physiological thing. See, being in love is physiological. Mm. It, 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 it's, a, it's a human reaction. There is a, an emotional and a cognitive part of it. You know, there's, there's what you think about the other person like for example i i as a christian i find joyce to be an outstanding example of what a christian should be mm -hmm. she is a singer she's a speaker she never does a concert without presenting the gospel not once and she has led so many people to the lord 
Love it. And living with her is living the Christian life. She she makes me a better person living with her. So I have a great deal of respect for that woman. But I got to tell you that what got me there in the first place was that she is really good looking. <laughs> and that's, what, that's what got me interested. To I love with. it. Stefan speaks of. Uh, guy i know a friend of mine he's an author he said the only thing that separates a, a romantic relationship from a friendship is physical attraction so when you, you see these people that you know they're trying they don't have physical attraction but they like the person they like all the qualities about the person or whatever like i don't think that's it you know i think you're, you're settling if you do that and here here i am I, i'm 79 years old okay joyce is 78 now the question is how can she be so physically attractive to me at her age? And I don't understand it, but all I know is that she is. I can hardly keep my hands off her. So I mean, Love she's it. basically as attractive to me now as she was then. Age has nothing to do with it. Yeah. It, it basically she is right for me. And, and, and you know, and yeah. And the flip side is true too, because I've dated women that were like drop dead, drop dead gorgeous. They were, you know, scale one to 10, they were a 10 and I didn't even want to have sex with them. I would literally just want it to go to bed because the connection wasn't deep. So that's what I say. Like that's, you know, if you're, if you're not committed to waiting to have sex, you're automatically going to lead with physical attraction on some level. And you're going to audit, you're going to pick the wrong person because you're going to be like, wow, she looks really good or he looks really good. And then if the connection's not deep, the physical stuff goes away. So for you, here you are 50 plus years later and you you can't keep your hands off her because the connection is so deep, you know? Right. I love that. And, and I got to say this too, that what makes a great relationship is conversation. If you are with somebody where the conversation can, can just go on and on and on and you enjoy every minute of it, mm -hmm. you got somebody there. I like see? that. And, 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 and the question is, well, what do you talk about? Well, you talk about each other. You have topics that you both enjoy talking about, but there is a look of love. There is the look of love mm -hmm. and it is unmistakable. And when you're in a conversation with somebody who loves you, that is a great conversation. Right. And, and, and you love that person. So I got to say that there is something magical about being in love and having a conversation with somebody you're in love with that gives you a whole new way of thinking about conversation. I call it intimate conversation. Hmm. It's, intimate. it's not sex. It's not about sex. It's intimate conversation in that you're bonded together in the conversation that you have with each other. And I think 20% of all marriages are like Joyce and mine. 20%. Make it to this point. And they're in love for life and they have a great relationship. And my job throughout my entire career as a clinical psychologist has been to try to create that for people so they can have the same experience. I love it. You bring up an interesting point where you talk about when you have a conversation with someone that you're in love with, it's a great conversation. I think the biggest argument that I would hear people push back on my uh, point of view about waiting to have sex until marriage is they always say, well, what if I wait and the sex isn't good? And I thought, I've often said when you, and I've never made love, I don't think, I don't, I think I've only had sex in my life, but when you make love to the person that you're in love with, I would imagine it is great. Is that true? Do you imagine it was what? I would imagine it's great. It doesn't matter how many tricks they know in bed. If you are making love to the person you're in love with, then I have just like that conversation is great. A great conversation because you're in love with them. If you're making love to the person you're in love with, it's not a matter of how good the tricks are. It's just, it's great sex because you're in love with them. Is that right? Yeah, as it, as it turns out, sex requires a certain amount of skill. So I deal with a lot of Christian couples that have never had sex before they get married. And sex on their honeymoon turns into an absolute disaster. <laughs> uh, I tell me that he saw his wife naked for the very first time and he just was just, I can't do this. They didn't actually make love. On wow. Wow. And so the whole business of saving yourself means that you haven't developed a skill set. Now, I don't want you to develop a skill set while you're 
single. single. I sure. want you to develop it while you're married. But the most important thing you can do in the first year of your marriage is get the sex straightened out. So you, so you have to understand that there is something to learn about having a mutually great sexual relationship. I'd say women have to train their husbands, generally speaking, that basically men go into marriage, if they haven't had sexual experience, they go in like a bull in a china closet <laughs> and they do not experience much of an exciting romantic experience for the wife. And so in many of the couples I'm counseling, they've been married for the first year and they're not getting their sexual relationship straightened out. There was one couple I counseled where the woman felt she had to have sex with her husband, but it was always very painful when she did. And it, she tried very hard to get through it each time and developed a condition that I call, that, that's known as vaginismus. So uh, they come into my, my, my office and, and he doesn't know what to do with it because now she, she just cries. She's in so much pain every time they have sex. Turns out her mother had sex once during her lifetime. And that was when she conceived this girl. She raised her up single. Okay, so now the, the daughter learns from a mother who only had sex once. And the mother told her that sex is always painful. So the, the daughter thought that that's how it's going to turn out. And she did want to have be married. She wouldn't want to have kids. And so she just had to endure the pain. So they come in and I say, okay, this has got to stop. We, we have to stop making sex painful. And we have to start making it enjoyable. And I wanted her basically to get over the vaginas. I trained her to get over the reflex that she had. So it was no longer painful. And I taught him how to have sex with her in a way that would be enjoyable for her. And when they left my office, his complaint was, I don't think I can have sex twice a day for the rest <laughs> of my life, <laughs> which is what she wanted. You know, so basically it became for her just a very exciting, wonderful experience. And sex should never be painful, ever, ever. And if it is painful, you're doing something wrong. So there are things to learn. If you've never had sex before, there are some things to learn after you're married. And sometimes a good sex therapist or a good Christian sex therapist can help you get through it. Okay. Love it. So let, let's talk a little bit about your book or one of your books, His Needs, Her Needs. You, you tell us that good intentions are enough and that couples must do more than want to meet each other's needs. They must actually meet them. This is a good segue. So what advice can you give the couples that may be in a relationship that has spanned for seasons for that same reason? We have a questionnaire called the Emotional Needs Questionnaire. You can download it free of charge on the uh, marriagebuilders.com website. And even though you're not married, uh, you can still fill it out for each other. And the question is, what are each other's emotional needs? Hmm. And the questionnaire is two parts. For each emotional need, it asks, First of all, how important is it for somebody to meet that emotional need? And the second thing is, for the person that you're in the relationship with, what kind of a job are they doing? And what could they do to improve what they're doing? Now, I have chapters on each of the emotional needs and train people how to, how to meet each other's needs. But that questionnaire is a big deal. And for dating couples, many dating couples will fill out that questionnaire for each other and say, okay, this is... This is what I would really like from the other person. If they could do that the way I would like it done, I would really be happy in the relationship. And so there's a sense in which for you to be in love, <clears throat> you'd have to fill out that questionnaire because it would tell me what you need in a relationship. And if you're in a relationship with some other woman, it would tell me what kind of a job she's doing making love bank deposits. So that, that questionnaire is a big deal. So I would encourage dating couples to take a look at the questionnaire and do an evaluation. How, how are we doing as a couple in terms of meeting each other's needs? Do you believe in the whole love languages, that, that, that whole principle with the different you know ways to meet emotional needs, physical touch and words of affirmation, quality time, all that? Chris would hate me to say this, and I know we're being recorded and all. But I wrote his attorney 60 years before Gary Chapman wrote Five Love Languages. 
and I met him after on the year he did it. And I said, Gary, did you read his needs, her needs before you wrote this book? You never answered my question. Oh man. But the problem, <laughs> I, love languages to me misses a very important point. He talks about the love tank. The love tank only fills up. The love bank is much more important concept because the love bank talks about withdrawals. The love bank, you can be in the red. The love tank, you can only get up. You can't go down. And you have to understand how you lose love units in order to make a marriage work. So I think the love bank is a much better concept. The five love languages to me is kind of a takeoff on what I've already been doing. Only my approach is a lot more uh, understandable for people and it's easier to follow. Here is something that's extremely important. And that is that you have to look at what works. What works? And Marriage Partnership Magazine did a few, did a survey a few years ago on Christian marriage books. And they asked the readers of Marriage Partnership to fill out the survey. And what book do you think is the best book on marriage? And they had all these books lined up, including Gary Chapman's book. His Needs, Her Needs blew them all away. Nice. His Needs, Her Needs was way on top. And for those people that have read His Needs, Her Needs and followed through on what I recommended, they write me. I get I get emails all the time. Read your book, His Needs, Her Needs, Saved Our Marriage. A, a, a couple that was managing a Christian bookstore came to me at a seminar one time with their two children in tow and said that on our honeymoon, it was such a disaster that we decided to get divorced. And, but our pastor had given me a given us a copy of his attorney. So on our way back home, we decided to read it to each other as we were driving home. And we got home and decided, you know, maybe this will work. And so they started following the plan and they wanted to tell me that the book, the book saved their marriage. That's they awesome. They just followed what it said and everything was great. They got through this horrible experience they had on their honeymoon and now they have two children. They're very grateful. It is a book that has saved tens of thousands of marriages. And what so year I, did you I, write that? What's that? What year did you write the book? 1986. Wow. 1986. You remind me of John Gray a little bit. Uh, do you know John Gray that wrote Men Are From Mars? Women are? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know him personally, yeah. <clears throat> he, he admit, he's, well, his he wife, also yeah. wrote his book after I wrote his, his name. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he had a long-time marriage, and he just you know talked about, talk about how often him, him and his wife made love and how great it was and re reminded me a little bit. I don't know. I don't think he's a believer, though. I don't, he did, no. Oh, yeah. Barbara DeAngelis, he was married to her for a while. And as a matter of fact, he got most of his ideas from her. Mm. Uh, she's a remarkable woman. And she wrote a book, and I use the, her introduction a lot. And in her, in her introduction, she says that, what if you find somebody from another planet, and that person is just absolutely fabulous, and you just can't get enough of that person. And you love that person so much. And you decide to be with that person. And all of a sudden, the mask comes off. And you see this horrible, horrible <laughs> alien inside that person. <laughs> and how can you possibly survive? And she said, that's the problem that I have understanding men. Right. In other words, men are like aliens. The men are like, I use that concept a lot, that basically a man and a woman are like aliens. Their brains are not at all alike. Not the same. I, I used to teach physiological psychology. You look at the brains, they look different. There are more neurons in a woman's brain, but the brain is smaller. There are more interconnections. Women are more aware of their surroundings. A woman and a man are aliens. The right. question is, how do we get along so well with each other? Yeah. If we're aliens, my answer is God made us to be together. Yeah. The man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. God made us to be married. 
right. made you to be married. I want to okay. be married. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies, send your pictures in to Bill, Dr. Bill Harley. We're going to be screening them. We're going to pick 12 contestants. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I appreciate you, doctor, coming on. I'm going to tell everybody where to find you. I want actually, I would love to send you a copy of my book in hopes that if you take a look at it and if, if you, if you like it, maybe you could write me a glowing endorsement. I would love to have that on there go a long way. Uh, I'm but, going to send you a copy of one of my books, Buyers, Renters, and Freeloaders. And it is a book for dating couples, hmm. people that are dating. And it talks about the transitions in dating between being a freeloader and being a buyer and then or being a renter and then being a buyer yeah and i think you, you would appreciate uh, that whole concept of dating dating is a transitional thing mm. uh, where you you develop commitment you don't start out with commitment you, right. you end in, you end up with commitment yeah i've always been a freeloader and a runner <laughs> never a buyer <laughs> i'm a buyer now but i'm so freaking picky that i'm like i don't know if there's something out there that I'm going to well, make sense to be a buyer uh, to begin with, it doesn't make sense. It, it makes sense to be a start out as a freeloader. It makes sense. Right. And then, and then you say it's worth making an investment. Yeah. And then you say, I'm all in. Commitment means responsibility. So if I'm going to be committed, that means I have to be responsible. So I just need to make sure it's something I really, really want. I don't know. Some people say I'm scared, but anyway, you can listen to, Dr. Harley Daly and his wife, Joyce, by downloading the Marriage Builders radio app or visiting their homepage, marriagebuilders.com, where you'll find articles, Q&A columns, discussion forums, questionnaires, and many other ways of solving relational problems free of charge. Information regarding booking arrangements for a weekend seminar is found at How to Fall in Love and Stay in Love Seminar. Is that accurate, Dr. Dr. Harley? All that information? Starting to get those going again after a year of not doing anything. Yep. Where are you based out of? Minneapolis, where uh, all the action is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you Minneapolis? Is that what you said? Yep. Are you a Vikings fan? We're having all kinds of problems here. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm in Baltimore. And we are just a few years ahead of you because we had the whole all those problems a few years ago, five years ago. So it's and a crazy world we're living in. Very familiar with Baltimore. Yeah. Yep. Well, I appreciate you, Dr. Harley. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you too, Rob. Just keep keep up the good work. Thank you.